It is an ancient journey of practicing the Christian virtues and living the truly abundant life as God defines it. A life made possible by God's grace, empowered by God's Spirit, and modeled by God's Son. This is the beauty of becoming. You know, if you've uh, been in church world the last 20 or so years, singing that last song was kind of like putting on an old pair of slippers. It was like, oh, I remember these. These are great. Hey, it's good to have you here, those of you in the room, those of you joining us online. Uh, so glad that you're with us. Um, as has been mentioned earlier, we are wrapping up our 21 days of prayer and fasting where together as a church, we are seeking God, saying no to some good things so we can say yes to someone even better. And I hope it's been an ex incredible experience for you. I want to encourage you to finish strong in these last few days of our 21 days or to jump in and join us, uh, as Ron said earlier to be a part of that. But I'm glad that you're here today. Last week we started a brand new series and kind of took a, a little bit of a fairy tale uh, approach to this thing that our story is such that we were under a curse in this death-like sleep until our prince came along and kissed us, reversed that curse, and we live happily ever after as the bride of Christ. The only difference is that when we came back, uh, we were loved by our prince, but we were ugly ducklings. Ugly ducklings that were becoming something absolutely beautiful. And I just want to say, you are the most beautiful ugly duckling church I've ever been a pastor of. <laughs> absolutely love this church and what God is doing in our midst as we continue this series of The Beauty of Becoming. And when I was thinking of that title, The Beauty of Becoming, speaking of old songs and taking you back to familiar slippers, it took me back to my childhood in the 70s, a song we used to sing in our church. It was written by Bill and Gloria Gaither. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. It's not only what he has done, he's redeemed us, he's made something beautiful out of our mess, out of our broken pieces, but he continues making us. It's this beauty of becoming, and that's, that's what we're talking about for the next couple of months, this whole thing of a life of virtue, living this life that we were created to live. In the spring of 2019, there were some details that began to emerge about a scandal, and the scandal really caught the attention of media and tabloids and became the, the topic of great discussion. And in those discussions, there was actually great disgust in the discussion. The, the scandal was this, that there had been some fraud and some cheating that allowed some high school students to be admitted into universities, some prestigious universities, that they otherwise would not have probably gotten into. Very upper end, you know, universities like Yale and Georgetown, USC, Stanford, and Wake Forest. What made this so inflammatory was that it wasn't just some creative, crafty, smart, albeit dishonest high school students that had learned some way to cheat the system. It involved 33 parents, some of whom were very high profile, even celebrity parents, it involved the universities and some of the, the athletic coaches and administrators of these universities. And there was academic achievements that had never actually happened. And there were entrance exams that had been cheated on. And, and there were athletic abilities that 
really weren't there and scholarships that came with it that they never played on these teams. And there were extracurricular activities that had never happened either. And between 2011 and 2018, I think it was $25 million was paid in bribes and services to get these students in these universities. And the mastermind behind it all, the, the man that was at the center of it all, was a, is a man named William or Rick Singer. Three and a half weeks ago, he was in federal court on these charges. And this is what he said just three and a half weeks ago. I've been reflecting on my very poor judgment in criminal activities that increasingly had become my way of life. I lost my ethical values and have so much regret. To be frank, I'm ashamed of myself. Increasingly had become my way of life. The tragedy of becoming this slow downward slide into this moral degradation that ends up in regret and shame. Now, what we're talking about is the exact opposite. Not the tragedy of becoming, the beauty of becoming, and not a slide, but a climb, not to shame and regret, but to the glory of God. And we can sit here this morning and we can point fingers and condemn and judge and say that guy and those parents and those universities. But before we do any of that, I would suggest we take the advice of the late great theologian, Michael Jackson. <laughs> I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Now, I would moonwalk, but I can't. That we would look here instead of saying, well, those people and the moral degradation, our world and all this, you know, the fabric is this. What about here? What about the areas where I've failed God's standards, my own standards, where I'm slipping a little bit, where I've compromised a little bit, where, I, where I'm not holding up the, the things that I should? Let, let's start right here. Instead of trying to condemn the rest of everybody else. And there's a bumper sticker that you don't see very much anymore. And I really, really don't like this bumper sticker. Bumper sticker is common. It says that Christians aren't, aren't perfect, uh, just forgiven. I, I really don't like this at all. One is on a theological technicality, it's not accurate completely. Because if you remember from last week, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, but by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So theologically, technically, it's a little off base. What I really, and I can give some grace here, what I really don't like about it is that it seems like a cop-out to me. It seems like giving ourselves a pass just to say, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. Therefore, I can drive like I want, I can cut you off, I can honk, I can yell obscenities, I can give you gestures and all that, and I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. I'm given this pass. It's like prepaid legal service, prepaid forgiveness service. I can act like I want. I hate that. Oh, man, by the way, if you have this on your, on your bumper, we have people in the parking lot scraping it off right now. It's just like it says, you know what, I can do whatever I want. Yes, we're forgiven, and we're not where we're going to be. But it's this beauty of becoming. Last week, we looked at this letter that Peter wrote. And he starts off with this whole picture of forgiveness, this, this faith that we've received. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We didn't work for it. We, didn't, it, it, we received it, this precious faith that we own. And then he just began to go on and on about what God has done. 
It's, it's this divine power, not our power and strength. It's the divine power. And it's his precious promises and his goodness and his glory. And this one that was just so mind-boggling that we get to participate in the divine nature. We get to be a part of that, however that plays out. And he says, in, in this faith that we've received, in this forgiveness that we have, in this new life that we have in God's power and the promises that he's given to us and his very nature, his presence with us. And then he comes to this where he turns from all that God has done and he looks to us. In 2 Peter uh, 1.5, he says, for this very reason, all the things he had listed, our faith that's so precious, God's promises that are good, good and glorious, his, his very... His very uh, uh, the nature that we get to be. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Not to earn your faith, not to somehow be qualified for your faith. It's a gift, it's by grace, but to add to your faith. This becoming, it's this life of virtue. And we talked about this whole concept of, of virtues, these Christian virtues that ancient church fathers, writers, and theologians would talk about that have kind of gone out of date. The virtues, what we're talking about, is defined for our purposes as the attributes and the attitudes of Christ. As Paul writes in Galatians, that Christ would be formed in you, that we would begin to think like Christ would think. We would behave like Christ would behave if he were in our situation. We would respond like Christ would respond. We would have the priorities and, and the will of God like Christ would. It, it's to have that. So when Peter writes this, he talks about adding to our faith. And as we've seen throughout Scripture, there are these lists where Paul writes these lists of virtues, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and in Colossians chapter 3 as well. And Peter adds his own. We looked at it briefly last week at the end of our time together. When he says, this is what it looks like to add to your faith. With all of these very things then add to your faith. And he would say things like goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, godliness. And to godliness, perseverance. And to perseverance, brotherly affection. And to brotherly affection, love. He says these virtues, these attitudes that Christ had, these, these attributes that Christ lived out, Add these to your life. This is, this is our work, our efforts in co cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 8, he says this. He says, for if, if, it's kind of like this isn't a foregone conclusion. This isn't a default mode. This isn't a drift. Not everyone's going to do this, but it is available to everyone. If you possess these qualities, these virtues, in increasing measure. He says, you can do this. And if you, if you add to them in increasing measure, like there's this ongoing growth, this ongoing maturity, this accumulating more and more of these attitudes and greater degrees of these attributes. We have this, this beauty of becoming. It says, if you'll do this and if you'll get these in greater quantity, what, th then you'll somehow get a certificate at the end, get some gold stars on the behavior modification chart, you'll get some merit badges and become an Eagle Scout for Jesus. No, he says, no, no, no. He says, let me tell you the result of that. If you will have these qualities, these virtues in increasing amounts, and he uses a double negative. He says this, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Take the double negative away and it becomes a positive. He says, if you'll, if you'll acquire these in increasing measure, your walk is going to be effective. You know, the power of Christ within you and productive, the fruit that, that God is going to bring about, not only in your life, but in your, in your, your efforts. In Titus chapter 1, I think it's verse 6, it says, they claim to know our God, but by their actions they deny him. And he says, I don't want that for you. The knowledge that you have of Christ, the knowledge of his grace, that's fantastic. But don't let it be without effect or without, you know, fruit produced in your life. And then he does kind of this flip and he says, and the converse is true as well. Verse 9, but if, again, if, it's not necessarily have to be this way, but it might be for some. If anyone does not have them, these qualities, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You've been forgiven, but it's like, it's not just what you're forgiven from, it's what you're forgiven for. Don't, don't forget these things. Don't just say, well, that's it. That's the end of the game. No, no, no. That's just the beginning of this life and this beautiful life of becoming. Now, here's the truth and the reality for me is where I am today and what I'm shooting for, what I'm, the goal is to be more like Christ, there is an enormous gap between my life and Christ's attitudes and attributes. Enormous gap. My guess is that's also the case for some of you. And if you're saying, not me, I'm good, I know for a fact it's the case for you. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. I hope you're having a blissful day. You're just off. There's this enormous gap. If you've ever been to London, um, the London Underground, the, 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 the tube, as they call it, we would call it a tube, but the tube, there's a phrase that has been used there for 55 years. It's kind of taken on a life of its own because between the train and the platform there in the, in the dock, th there's this gap. And it's written on the sidewalks, it's written on the walls, and it's repeated over and over again for 55 years. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Be aware. You, you don't want to twi twist an ankle, uh, you know, slip in there, trip yourself, break a heel, whatever. Mind the gap. Be aware that there's this gap between the train and the platform. So mind the gap. Now, there's a gap between where we are and where Christ is, for sure. But I think what Scripture is saying and what, what uh, even Peter is saying here, it's not just about minding the gap, just being aware so that we can just kind of not have any issues with it. I think what it's saying is, you know, address the gap and narrow the gap. Yes, there's a gap. Be aware of that. Acknowledge that. And then confront that. Become more like Christ. Continue to get closer and closer. Now, you'll never fully close that gap. I mean, he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's when the gap has been filled. So for the rest of our life, and throughout Scripture, this whole thing of, of kind of this filling the gap or minding the gap or addressing the gap or narrowing the gap or, or becoming more like Christ is seen as this really a picture of spiritual maturity. It's about growing up in Christ, not just growing old in Christ, growing up in Christ. And you think about growing up and maturity, you think about even our children. I mean, when a, when a, 
a, a baby is born, there's certain things you expect, but then you hope that there's some growth, that there's some maturity, even physically and emotionally and relationally and educationally and in all these areas. And if that little child does not grow, often they will be given a diagnosis as FTT, failure to thrive. They've just remained kind of dormant in their status. And, and I wonder how often in our spiritual life, we're alive in Christ, but we failed to thrive, to continue to grow, to become mature. And Paul uses that picture of, of like a child in, in growing up. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put childish ways behind me. Like, I would expect that of this age group, but not of this age group. Like, there's this expectation of someone who's brand new in the faith, but after someone's been walking with the Lord for a while, you would hope that there's some transformation, there's some growth, there's some maturity. The writer of Hebrews states it this way. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need, to be someone, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. But you're still this baby Christian making a mess, having a bottle, but by now, which is okay when you're baby, but, but you got to grow up. And, and that's the whole thing of the beauty of us becoming. Again, the bad news is the gap is far more than we even realize. The good news is the grace of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling right within us, and that we're not alone that we're all on this journey. We're all continuing to become. And we can have these virtues in increasing measure. You would think that some people are really close to, to Christ and probably the, the, the gap is narrowed to almost next to nothing. I mean, for instance, the Apostle Paul. I mean, here, this guy, you would think this guy, if anyone, should be closest to Christ. He says in Philippians 3, it tells about his, his pedigree. He says, my, my parents, they were Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. They were Hebrews. We're, we're the tribe of Benjamin. He says, and I was circumcised on the eighth grade, eighth day, eighth grade, eighth day. <laughs> it was rough going into high school for him. <laughs> I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was keeping the law before I knew what the law was, he says. And then I became a Pharisee, and you know the story. He was at the top of the class, raised and, and trained under Gamaliel. And, and he, he's, as far as the legalistic righteousness, he says, I was faultless as far as zeal. I went for it with all that I had. And this guy was religious. And then he gets a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus. I mean, like, serious one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. And then he takes three years, probably in Arabia, and some even would believe that, that maybe meeting with Jesus, that's speculation, but it's, it's possible. But then he comes back and he meets with the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus for three, three years. He begins to not only grow in his faith, he begins to share his faith. He, he begins to go on these missionary journeys and the spread of the gospel throughout Asia Minor into Europe is primarily because of what God did through the apostle Paul. 
There was an, ex- an instance, and he doesn't give a lot of detail, where he had this experience. You can read about this in 2 Corinthians 12. He had this experience where he was, he was whether it was a vision or real, he, he doesn't even know, but he was taken to the third heaven, whatever that even means. And he says, it was such an unbelievable experience to keep me from getting proud because of what God did. He gave me this affliction. He writes these letters. The majority of our New Testament is written by Paul. His words are our scripture. You would think if anyone was close to Jesus, if anyone was like Jesus, it would be him. And yet, what does he say in Philippians 3? Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm not there yet. The gap is still there. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, there's still a gap. This is Paul. There's still this enormous gap between where I am and where I want to be, what I'm shooting for, to be more like Christ. Thank God I'm not where I was. But there's this gap. It's not discouraging for him at all. And this should not be discouraging for us at all either. He says, I'm forgetting what is behind. I just keep moving forward because it's this beauty of becoming. It's walking with Christ. It's it's keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It's being developed and matured into the man or the woman that God has created us to be. It's a beautiful thing. The word becoming, I'll I'll just tell you right up front, I'm not really good with uh, parts of speech. I, I struggled with that. I still struggle with that. Adverb, still can't figure those things out. Dangling participles, not a clue. But this word becoming is kind of this present progressive verb. And what we're talking about is living a progressive verb life. It's not something that we achieve. It's something that we engage in and it continues on. We don't somehow achieve this. We are living this becoming more and more. There's a song that I love by a guy named uh, Zach, uh, Zach Williams. Great songs. Most of you have probably never even heard of it. Zach Williams. But talks about become a little more like Jesus and a lot less like me. It's this ongoing becoming. And, and it's not just this, I'm just going to pray that God does this. No, it's, it's our efforts. We talked about this last week. It's our efforts and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, making every effort. That's why Paul would say to young Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where he says to him, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Now, what he's not saying is do this so that people can observe it. Do this for others. Do this as kind of an act. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying as you are diligent with this, as you you give yourself, as you put every effort into this, there will be a transformation that takes place in your life. People will notice. Here's a question for you that would be worth at least thinking about, and if you're brave enough, discussing, but at least think about In your spiritual life, the people who know you best, who are closest to you, would they say that the man or the woman you are today is more like Jesus than you were a year ago or three years ago or five years ago? Or do we just put a bumper sticker saying, well, I'm just forgiven. 
He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them. You know, one of the things um, I've observed, and I told her this last December, my mom is 85. She's in the twilight years of her life. She's old. Let's just be straight up. She's old. And she has walked with Jesus for years. I mean, she became a Christian in high school, and my dad was a pastor. She was a pastor's wife. She lived Bible studies, all of this. One of the things that I've seen in her life is that the older she becomes, the more filled with grace that she has. I was spent uh, three or four days with her early December as part of her Christmas present because I'm that kind of a gift. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a whole lot cheaper. Anyway, regardless. So, <laughs> spent four and four days. And we had these conversations and different conversations. And, and there was just two or three conversations. And I thought, she has more grace than I've ever seen in her life. I mean, sometimes, in the, sometimes as people get older, they get more cranky and more judgmental, more crotchety, more, you know, just all this critical and all that. And she is just... More and more with the beauty of the grace of Jesus. And I said that to her. I said, Mom, I, I, I just want to tell you I, I've observed this in your life. Some of you know Alta Ruth. She, she's here this morning. She'll turn, I told you this, she'll turn 100 next month. She just continues to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, continues this becoming, this beautiful life of becoming more like Jesus. And here's the truth. That's available to you and I. That can be our story as well. Not that we're doing this for others to see, but we can grow in these things. And we can, to where people are saying, you know, a year or two ago, you would have reacted way different than that. You know your response here? You know what I saw with that priority? That's different than you used to be. You were saved then. It's this beauty of becoming. I love this verse. We read it a couple times last week. We'll probably keep coming back to it out of 2 Corinthians 3 where it says, and we, that's us, who with unveiled faces, all of us, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. Now, let me just say this. If right now you're saying, this, this whole series, the virtues and trying to become, this seems so burdensome and, oh, this is going to be rough and I already feel bad enough about myself. Let me just put your mind to ease. I'm so glad you're here. That is not what I want for you, this burden, this heaviness of how am I going to do this? No, this is about in the power of the Holy Spirit, the freedom to intentionally cooperate and become. And so it's, there's an intentionality, but just to take the burden off, it's done incrementally as well, like one step at a time. Not these huge quantum leaps or I've got to be there by, no, no, it's just, what's it, what's it saying, Corinthians? Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Last week I mentioned uh, the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And as I said, it's not a faith-based book, but everything I read through, I kept thinking this so applies to spiritual development of Christ being formed in us, to this, this spiritual formation. It just, there's so much. It was just beautiful. And, 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 and Clear writes about this. In fact, the very title, Atomic Habits, sounds like they're huge monumental habits. But what he's saying, no, no, it's like atoms, like little atoms, tiny little habits 
small little incremental steps that over time as they compound and as they continue to layer and stack, then there is dramatic change in our life. I love the book on multiple fronts, but especially in spiritual development. And one of the things that I thought was interesting in that book was when he talked about lasting change in our life, because that's really what it's about, the lasting changes in our behavior, in our life, is it says, you know, first, start with identity. Start with identity. And he goes into this, this whole thing. In fact, one of his uh, quotes is this. True behavior change is identity change. So this beauty of becoming, this life of virtue is behavior change. It's changing how we live. But he says, the true change comes when our identity changes. Now, long before social science, long before his book, and long before social scientists or behavioral psychologists or any kind of self-improvement uh, stuff was written, Scripture points this out. You think about this. Jesus has an encounter with, with Simon. And I told you last week of why he always gets such a, a bad uh, name. I mean, he's, he talks before he thinks, and he's wishy-washy, and he's all this, and he's there, and he's everywhere, and like the wind blows him about. And Jesus says, Simon, you will be called Peter, Petros, rock, solid, firm. At that point, he's not. He's flaky. He's impetuous. He's all over the map. But Jesus calls, gives him a new identity and calls that out of him. There's a story in the Old Testament where Gideon is scared to death there's these invading armies, and he's got wheat that has to be on the threshing floor, but he's scared that, that as he throws the wheat up in the air, they might see him. So he goes down, and he hides in a hole, and he's doing his work down in a hole. He's hiding. He's cowering. He's afraid. And the, the angel shows up and says to him, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. No. He's hiding in a wine press because he's scared, but he calls him out, gives him a new identity, and calls him by this new identity and says, now, this is who you are. Live in conjunction with your new identity. So clear, he, he, he lays it out this way with, with these habits that change, this behavioral change in these concentric circles. These concentric circles represent three layers of, of habit or, or behavioral change. The outer layer is these outcomes. The second layer would be the processes and the inner and the deepest, the third uh, and deepest level is the, the identity. The outcomes, they're the goals. They're the New Year's resolutions. I'm, my outcome, this is what I'm wanting to achieve. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start writing a book. I'm going to clean the garage. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to stop chewing my nails. That's the outcome. That's the goal. The process is, the outcome is what we get. The process is, is what we do. So I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to cut back spending, I'm going to start on the budget, I'm going to, you know, write X amounts of it. That's the process. Those are the things that we do. And the third and the deepest level, the, the identity, is what we believe. It's our worldview about ourselves and about others. And he points out that they're not better or worse. They're all very important if we want to see behavioral change. But what's most important is the direction with which we approach these things. He said, most often we approach them from the outside in. I'm going to start changing this behavior. 
It's kind of an outcomes-based direction. Rather, he would say, start from the inside out. It's an identity-based change. That it starts with who I am. As I was reading that, I was thinking about that time when Jesus just calls out the Pharisees because they were all about the outcomes. And he says to them, you hypocrites, you teachers of the law, you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but inside filled with dead men's bones and everything unclean. You're doing all the right things. You're going through all the right motions. You have all the right outcomes, but nothing has been changed inside. There's no transformation in your heart. Well, what would he say? You know, you clean the outside of the, of the dish, the bowl and the cup. Instead, clean the inside and the outside will be clean too. He says, start from within. I began to think about this whole thing of this process for us of the beauty of becoming. It's this changing even our identity. So last week we talked about the passage in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul lists out a whole list of behaviors, vices, and then virtues. And he just kind of, these two lists, you know, put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature, your sexual immorality and your lust and, and the impurity and, and the greed, which is idolatry, and get rid of the anger and rage, malice and slander and filthy language. Stop lying to each other. And then he gives these virtues, you know, uh, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and, and, and forgive as others forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love. And it looks like, okay, those are all out outcomes, right? But sandwiched between these two lists, he hits identity. I mean, it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, you have taken off your old self, that's who you were, with its practices. That's how you lived. That was your old identity, the old self, the old lifestyle. And you have put on the new self. This is your new identity, which is, here it is again, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Your identity is different now. You're not who you once were. You don't live the way you once lived because you're a different person now. Right. You're a new person created in the image of God, and you are becoming. And so how you live, it comes out of who you are. And then he goes on, and we won't spend any time on this one, but he says here in, in the body of Christ, there is, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He says, your identity is not first and foremost your ethnicity. It's not first and foremost your nationality, not even your culture. Your identity is first and foremost of who you are in Christ. And then he lands and he says, let me tell you who you are. Let me show you who your new identity, let me paint this picture for you. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's who you are. You've been chosen. It wasn't a roll of the dice. It wasn't a luck of the draw. It wasn't a ladder, lottery. You were hand-selected. And you're holy. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. And I, and I, no, hold on. No, no, no. Remember, holy means set apart for God's purposes. Right. You are set apart for God's purposes. And you are dearly loved. 
I've loved you with an unfailing love, he says. You are dearly loved. You could read that phrase and say, that's my identity. I kind of got it going on. I was hand-selected, I'm holy, and I am loved. No, you don't got it going on. You're only chosen not because you're so special, but because God chose you. You're holy not because you're so wonderful, with all, because God has a plan for you. It's his purposes. You're dearly loved not because you're so lovable, because sometimes you're not, but because God loves with an unconditional love. He says, that's your identity. You know, speaking of identity... If you own a cat, <laughs> you will spend the rest of your life trying to convince that animal why you should occupy the house you pay for. <laughs> it's their domain, and they're putting up with you, and you're going to spend your whole life trying to convince that cat that you're a person of worth. Right. If you own a, own a dog, if you own a dog... That dog thinks you're way better than you really are. <laughs> now, you, you've heard that, you know, I, I want to become the man my dog thinks I am. Now, we're not talking about cats and dogs here. What we're talking about is that I'm becoming who God says I am. Who God says I am. Right. I'm becoming that person. I'm chosen by God. So what does that mean? How would someone who's chosen by God live? How would I live my, how would I prioritize my life? If I'm chosen by God, then I ought to live according to that. Right. If I'm holy, set apart for God's purposes, what would a person who's been set apart for God's purposes, how would I think? How would I behave? What would be my mindset? If I'm dearly loved, I mean like dearly loved where I'm not ever unloved by God, how would I respond to someone else? Would I be more loving? It's understanding that I am becoming who God already says I am. This is who I am, and this is who I'm becoming. I love this um, and when Seth Godin said, people like us do things like this. It starts with identity. Because of who we are, therefore, this is how we live. Not like, I have to do this, I can't do this, I gotta stop this, I gotta do these behaviors, I gotta get these awards. All. No, 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 this is who I am in Christ. And because of that, this is how I live, and I'm becoming more of that. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, look at this, so great. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You're already in the family of God. You're not trying to buy your way in. You're not trying to earn your way in. You're not trying to deserve your way. You're already in. You're already a son or daughter of the Most High God. You're a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. You've been chosen. You don't have to try and say, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. You're already chosen. You're holy for his purposes. You're dearly loved. Even when you're unlovable, he loves you. So let us live up to what we've already attained. Our status, our identity in Christ. I said this last week. Soren Kierkegaard says, now, with God's help, I shall become myself. I become the person I was created to be. So here's the challenge. So now, I told you these first two weeks were kind of foundational, kind of set up the launch pad. So starting next week, we're going to start looking at some of these virtues. Not as, oh, I have to, these are outcomes I have. No, no. This is people like us do things like this. 
So here's the challenge I want to give for you this week to help us prepare for next week and the following subsequent uh, sermons on different virtues. It's changing our identity. So every morning when you wake up, I would love for this, and it's going to take some discipline, I would love for your first thought to be, or if even if you're willing to say it out loud, these words to yourself, just to remind yourself, I am chosen, I am holy, I'm dearly loved. Just to start your day with, as I start my day, God has chosen me, he set me apart for his purposes, and there's not a thing I can do to change his love. And if we can start with that identity, then people like us do things like this, live a virtuous life. So try this with me. Just repeat after me. I'm chosen. I'm, chosen. I'm, holy. I'm holy. I'm dearly loved. loved. Alright, next time we're going to do this with a little more volume. Those of you online, I don't care where you are, try it with us. I'm chosen. I'm, chosen. I'm, holy. I'm holy. I'm dearly loved. I'm dearly loved. So my challenge to you is this. Every day this week, when you wake up, just remind yourself of your identity. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm dearly loved. All right. Hey, uh, those of you online, I'm going to close this in, in the room here. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the life that you have given to us, this faith that is so precious, the invitation to participate in your divine nature, and this faith that we have received from you by grace. May we now add to that this life of these virtues, the attitudes, the attributes of Christ. So may we be reminded again of who we are in you. Thank you, God, that you chose us. Thank you that you chose us and set us apart for your purposes and that you love us. I don't know that we would have chosen ourselves and I know our purposes would fall far short of what you have in mind for us. And there are times that we don't deserve it, but we receive your love. So may we attain and live up to who you say we are. I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're chosen. You're holy. And you're loved. I love you.